It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. What is the debt limit? How does it relate to the national debt? And who regulates the debt limit? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. All right, everyone, today we are zeroing in on our economy, more specifically, the debt limit. We are trillions of dollars in debt. And when talking about borrowing money so that the U.S. government can honor its legal obligations, things can get a bit complicated. So when was the debt limit established? What impact does it have on our economy? And what is the future of the debt limit? Well, here to talk me through all of this is the Director of Economic Policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center, Shai Akabas. And Shai joins me now. Shai, what's going on? Great to be with you, Abby. Thank you so much for coming on. We know we we brought you one spicy hot topic. <laughs> this has been in the news a lot lately. We're talking about the amount of money the U.S. government can borrow to meet its legal obligations, which sounds like a mouthful. So will you just break that down for me? And what are those legal obligations? Sure. The federal debt limit is a provision that's been in law for over 100 years now. And it is a limitation from Congress on the amount that the Treasury Department is allowed to borrow. So the amount of total debt that it can issue. Right now, we've issued over $31 trillion of debt. So it's a very large number. Mm. Over time, that number has grown. So it was originally limited to well under a trillion dollars way back over 100 years ago. Then it has grown substantially over time to that level that it is today. And periodically, usually every year or two in, in recent decades, Congress has had to increase that ceiling because we've continued to run annual deficits, where as a government, we are paying out more in spending than we're taking in in taxes. And that difference is, again, the deficit, and those add up to a cumulative debt over time. That's the $31 trillion that we've racked up. And we are now at a point where we have reached that debt ceiling, and Congress has not yet taken action to extend it. And so if we don't increase the debt ceiling, at some point, the Treasury Department won't be able to meet all of the obligations that the U.S. government has. And those obligations are on a wide variety of programs that many Americans are familiar with, but include everything from Social Security benefits to Medicare to food stamps to payments of federal employees' salaries and lots and lots and lots of other programs. So those would all be called into question if the Treasury Department is not able to issue new debt in order to fund them. The most important of those obligations, perhaps, is the principal and interest that we pay on our debt. So our, when we issue debt, we owe interest on the, that for the investors that have purchased it. And if we are not making good on those interest and principal payments, repaying people the money that they have lent us, presumably it's going to get more expensive for us to borrow in the future. And that could cost all Americans. Yeah, well, those are such important things that Americans need. So then what happens if they can't meet those obligations? Well, we've never been there before as a country in the modern era where the the Treasury Department was not able to meet all the obligations in full and on time. We don't really know what that world looks like. It's pretty scary because we are the global economic leader. And to think that a country like the United States would not be making good on those commitments that we have made is a terrifying thought. 
what I think would happen, first of all, is that some people somewhere are not getting paid. And how that works is a very complicated question. Who's not getting paid? When would they get paid? Um, but, but the other things that could happen are much more questionable. So you could see credit rating agencies deciding that the United States is no longer the gold standard mm. of credit because we, we can't hold that position if we're not making good on our payments. And if they downgrade us, that could mean investors across the world are less inclined to hold U.S. debt, which means that we have to pay higher interest rates in order to borrow all the money that we need. And of course, when Treasury is paying higher interest rates, that means Americans across the country are paying higher interest rates on things like mortgages and car loans and credit cards. So this could filter through the economy very quickly. We could also see a tightening of credit and of the job market where businesses are reluctant to invest and to hire new employees if they think the economy is going to be shrinking because people are going to be less inclined to spend and because we're headed for an economic recession. So those are all possibilities if we were actually failing to meet our obligations. Luckily, we still have several months for Congress to act before we get to that point, but it's nerve-wracking that we're only a few months away from there. That is very nerve-wracking. And you talk about high interest rates on mortgages. I'm like, ah, we can't we can't afford it to go any higher. Obviously, right. it's come down a little bit more, but I mean, just you look over the course of the last few months, it's it's been a little wild. Um, so I want to pick up on something that you said earlier. You said that this has been kind of in place for over 100 years. What in history happened that made us go, wow, we should really have a debt limit? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. So before that time, and I believe it was 1917 that was it was first enacted, the Treasury Department actually had to go to Congress each time they wanted to borrow something for a specific purpose. So if they wanted to start some new infrastructure project, they needed to go to Congress and say, we want to issue this amount of debt and we need you to approve that. So th that was very burdensome as we grew to a massive economy with now hundreds of millions of people in the country. That was doable at a time where we were a much smaller country and had much fewer investments from the federal government. But now that we are running a deficit of over a trillion dollars a year, and we have literally hundreds of programs, perhaps thousands of programs that are being run at the federal government level, it's impossible to for Congress to be authorizing new borrowing for each one of those. Congress obviously controls where we spend our money, but for them to go through and individually authorize new debt for each one of those became untenable. And so that's why in 1917 and, and beyond that, they started requiring that there be an overall limit. So that gave the Treasury Department the flexibility to issue the debt within that limit that they needed to in order to fund all the obligations. But it retained that limit because Congress is supposed to have the power of the purse. And so it felt the need to still have some limitation on what the Treasury Department was allowed to borrow. I see. Uh, you know, how often does this happen? Because, you know, obviously you don't want to default. And this, so I guess my question is, is how often is a debt limit extended? And how do those calculations happen? What goes into that decision? So in recent years, it's been roughly every year or two, we, we've been butting our heads up against the debt limit and Congress has needed to take action. The way that that's decided is ultimately by how much Congress decides to increase the debt limit, or in some cases they've suspended the debt limit for a certain period of time. So they've said it won't be in effect for the next year and then it'll come back into effect at a certain level. So those are basically the same thing, but effectively Congress has been giving a little more leash you know, each time they extend it. And that leash ends at some point a year or two down the road, and they have to come back and do it again. This isn't a very productive dance that we've been going through, because most of the time when Congress has been extending the debt limit, 
it's actually come with provisions that increased our debt going forward or, or annual deficits, increased our spending or cut our taxes or, or some combination of those two. So it has not been a tool for fiscal responsibility that some people would like to use it for. And that's a problem because not only does it mean we're not getting the fiscal responsibility, but at the same time, we're taking a pretty monumental risk with our economy of coming within several months of defaulting on our obligations year after year after year. And that makes global economic actors concerned, as you would expect, that this bulwark of the global economy might not make good on all of its promises. And we're coming up against this situation on a repeated basis. So that, I think, is why the current paradigm is really broken and why we need some sort of reform. I, I want to follow up on that. Yeah, because the latest numbers I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Japan owns just over a trillion dollars of our debt. China owns $855 billion. So what implications does that have for us as a country? The fact that we have you know, people who, are, who we owe money to overseas in other countries is not necessarily a problem in and of itself. But as we rack up more and more debt, and these countries own more and more of our debt, it makes us sort of further indebted to them in the sense that we're on a trajectory where we're headed skyward with deficits into the future. And the more we become reliant on that for our economy, the more difficult it is to perhaps put in place other policies that we need to compete with those countries, because they hold this leverage over us where at, at some point they might reduce their borrowing, reduce their investment, and excuse me, not reduce their borrowing, reduce their investment in U.S. Treasury securities, which would mean that we'd have to pay higher interest rates and look for creditors elsewhere. So it, it does create this type of economic leverage that ultimately might not be healthy if it keeps going in the direction that it is. Right now, it's not so much of a problem, but it does create this dynamic where we owe quite a bit to countries that we may be in an economic competition with. Yeah, that's I mean, it's an interesting point, because when you look at kind of the broader picture and, you know, over the course of time, it really does play a big role. Do we always raise the debt ceiling or is there ever a time where we're like, all right, we let the leash out a little too much. Let's reel it back. Ultimately, when we get into these situations, there's really no alternative to Congress extending the debt ceiling at that moment, because when we're within several months of the point where Treasury can't meet all of our obligations, there's almost no realistic way to close the gap between how much we're spending and how much we're taking in in that very brief period of time to effectively balance the budget and say we're not going to borrow a penny more. So when we get into that situation, it's really too late already. What we should be doing is thinking about how can we make reforms in the future so that we our debt accumulates less quickly and we have to do this less often. Frankly, we can get into this later, but I think we need to reform the entire process. But just working within the paradigm that we have today, what we should be thinking about is are there reforms for the future so that we can curb spending over time or bring in more revenues over time so that the deficit shrinks and we accumulate debt more slowly. And that would mean that we'd come up against these debt limit impasses less frequently. That I think is really the direction we should be thinking of rather than a situation where overnight we're going to manage to cut, let's say, 30% of all government spending, because that's just not likely to happen based on the fact that we have lots of people who are expecting to receive benefits or other payments that we can't tell three months from now, you know, sorry, we're going cold turkey. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Well, Shy, let's get right into it then. I mean, you teased it. It looks like you're about to save us from everything. So what what are your ideas and how we can, you know, plan for the future? Sure. Well, I, there there's an impasse right now, of course, which is why we're talking about that the topic that will need probably some additional policies to find a resolution. That the house is deliberating on a package that would include some spending restraint and other policies that might reduce debt over time. And those are important to think about in the, in the broader picture. But I think what's really critical for this situation is to think about the debt limit in particular and how we can change that process moving forward. Because it's proven to be almost entirely ineffective for fiscal restraint. And it continues to put our economy in this risky position that is quite concerning for all of our global economic partners. And a better situation, I believe, would be one that forces a debate over our debt and deficits, but doesn't come with all the baggage that the debt limit has. So what we've suggested at the Bipartisan Policy Center and has been introduced in a piece of legislation by Congress on, with bipartisan sponsors is to have a situation where the president can request a debt limit extension from Congress and Congress could disapprove of that extension, but it would likely go through unless there was a supermajority that, that opposed it. But along with that, each time that happened, and it would basically happen on an annual basis, there would be a debt reduction proposal that the president would submit to Congress for them to consider and ultimately either vote on that proposal or alternative proposals on the floor. So it would sort of guarantee this debate over our debt that isn't happening today, that the normal budget process in Congress has been broken for a long time, so we don't get real conversations about fiscal policy, about debt through that process. So this would sort of create a second process that is meant to specifically focus on how we can get our debt under control and use the debt limit as the starting point, but not as something that is threatening our economy and the global economy. So that would go on a separate track for, for disapproval. So Congress would retain control over it, but it would grease the skids for it to happen unless there was an overwhelming opposition. And then meanwhile, there's this required debate in Congress over specific policies to reduce the debt, which is really where our, our policymakers should be spending their time on the actual details rather than mm. hand-waving and yelling about $31 trillion <laughs> in debt. Yeah, it's, that's kind of an uncontrollable number to begin with. So, uh, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and it's something that you mentioned in there was you said uh, economically risky situation. Now, you that means implications overseas. But turning to our home turf, could failure to address the debt ceiling, could that push us into a recession? It certainly could. And the challenge with this is, again, we've never been there before as a country. So there's no real history for us to look to. but what you can foresee is markets getting extremely skittish if the U.S. government was ever to announce that we weren't making good on all of our payments on time. Part of the reason we can expect this is because even the possibility that such an event might occur is causing investors who have U.S. Treasury securities that are supposed to mature around the time of the debt limit situation, around the time of what we call the X state, when the government might not be able to make good on all of its payments. They are demanding higher interest rates. There's a, a not enough interest among investors for those securities because there's this extra element of risk. And so the ones that are purchasing it are demanding that we pay them higher interest rates. So that's actually already costing taxpayers money from this whole debt limit predicament. And we would expect that that would expand by orders of magnitude 
if the government was actually telling people we're not making good on your payments on time. Mm. And if that were to occur, that would likely spook equity markets, which could mean drops in pensions, retirement accounts, which could mean that businesses and consumers pull back in the economy. And it could mean investors overseas are less likely to see the U.S. as a desirable market. So all of these are not good outcomes for American taxpayers, for American workers, because it, it likely means the economy is headed in a downward direction. And where that goes, how far it goes, is really impossible to predict. But it likely would not be a pretty picture. Well, just to give people an example, so the last time we raised a debt limit was in twenty six or was in twenty twenty one, right? December sixteenth. Am I getting mm-hmm. that right? So right. that we raised a debt limit by uh, two and a half trillion to a total of thirty one point four trillion dollars. That's a lot. So what did that? Mm-hmm. How did we see that play out over the last? What is that? Two years ago? About you know a year and a half ago? How how did that play out for taxpayers? The increase in the debt limit from a couple of years ago was scheduled to make on by both sides to make sure that we got through the midterm elections last fall before the debt limit became an issue again. That's often how these extensions work. It's not so much an economic decision. It's more of a mm. political one. And so that's where the $2.5 trillion came from. And most of that debt was already scheduled to be accumulated when that decision was made. So it's not that things have gotten so much worse. It's just that they really haven't gotten any better. And Congress has not done anything about this accumulation of debt over time. We're running deficits that are close to $1.5 trillion a year now. And our debt is, our, our total debt is getting close to the entire size of our economy. It's almost, it's, it's roughly 100% of our economy right now, which is almost unprecedented in the last 100 years. Really, the only time that has happened before is after World War II. This all points to the fact that we do really need to do something about our debt. Whether the debt limit is the right leverage point to have that debate is another conversation. And I think personally, it's not the best one. But right now, it's the only one. So that's why we keep coming back time and again to this debt limit well, where certain members of Congress try to force the debate over our spending, over our debt, and often unsuccessfully, I should add. But that's why this is used for that purpose, because there's no other opportunity that's functioning in the congressional process, in the, in the budget process, for us to do so. That's why we need some sort of reform to get us back on track mm. so that we can have that debate in a more standard way rather than sitting on the brink of defaulting on our obligations. Right. And, and you you talk about reform and, and obviously these things do get political. Anytime you discuss anything that you know our country has to agree on and, and moving forward for the health of our, our country when it comes to economics, things like that, um, it, it does tend to get political. And, and right now we're seeing that play out, right? Um, I do want to ask you, Speaker McCarthy is in the news because he proposed the Limit, Save, Grow Act of 2023. Can you just break down that bill for me and and how is he trying to responsibly raise the debt ceiling? Because that's something he's saying. He's saying, I I want to responsibly raise the debt ceiling. How would that look? Sure. When he makes comments like that, I think it actually speaks to exactly what we were talking about a moment ago, which is that the term responsibly he's using is he is intending to implement certain fiscal reforms to go along with the debt limit increase. And he views that as the responsible way to extend the debt limit. And you know that that's certainly up for argument and discussion. The reforms that they, the House Republicans are considering include restraints over the next 10 years on what's called discretionary spending, which means the spending that Congress approves annually. The, the spending that is not in that category, for example, include the entitlement programs like Social Security and Medicare, et cetera, 
but for spending that is approved annually, which is defense spending and all of the domestic accounts, so all the agencies like the education department and the energy department, et cetera, et cetera, those would have limitations on their growth over the next decade to save money. And it would immediately next year send those levels back to the levels that um, spending at those agencies were the year uh, before this year. So it would it would sort of revert back two years. And that's actually a fair amount because inflation, of course, has been significant over the last year or so. So that would be a pretty substantial cut. And Democrats are not interested in entertaining something of that magnitude. But that's where House Republicans are starting. There's also a number of other provisions in that bill that that Speaker McCarthy has proposed, including, for example, eliminating the student loan forgiveness that the Biden administration has been pushing and is currently being challenged in the courts. There would also be changes to work requirements that are either already in existence or not in existence for certain government programs like the food stamp program. It would expand the work requirements for that program or Medicaid. It would introduce work requirements for that program. And then one other element here is that it would uh, put forward permitting reforms for various infrastructure investments and, and energy in particular that would accelerate the process for approval. And I think there are members on both sides of the aisle when, with that particular provision that would be supportive of something along those lines, because whether it's clean energy projects or not clean energy projects, all of this really in the U.S. economy takes longer than it should. And so mm. I do think that there's a desire for some bipartisan bipartisanship there. And some of the other pieces could be bipartisan, maybe if they were structured in different ways. So it's an interesting opening proposal. And it is, it, it's significant because these provisions have been written down on paper and they're getting a vote in the, the House of Representatives. So it's the starting point for some sort of negotiation. All right. That's a starting point. Do you think that is what will bring people together? Like, what do you think is the main thing that will kind of make both sides of the aisle meet in the middle? The debt limit is this unique political instrument in that it always revolves more around the politics than around the substance. Mm. So right now, the Biden administration's position is that we should not, quote unquote, be holding the economy hostage, which th their view is the speaker demanding that the bill that the House is considering be attached to a debt limit increase is preventing us from passing a debt limit increase because they don't support those other provisions. And so the speaker is sort of holding the economy hostage to its his his caucus's priorities. So their position in the Biden administration has been, we'll talk to you about fiscal policy, but not when it's related to the debt limit. And so we, we are demanding a clean debt limit increase, and we're not going to have negotiations about that topic. I don't think that's going to ultimately be a tenable position. There have usually been conversations about how we extend the debt limit. Again, that doesn't mean we should be having those because we should have a more effective tool to orchestrate fiscal policy than the debt limit where we're, we're in entertaining this enormous risk to our economy. But the fact is that we are where we are, and it's likely going to be that the president and the speaker are going to need to get back in the same room to talk about how we move forward here, because we're within several months of defaulting on some of our obligations, mm -hmm. and that would be a lose-lose politically for everyone involved and certainly for American households and taxpayers. The two sides really need to come together and figure this out, and the sooner they start, the better. Yeah. At the end of the day, we need to agree on something so that we can move forward. And is there a relationship? People talk all the time about the debt limit and government shutdown. When does one, how do those play together? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because there's a lot of confusion about those two things and, and how they relate. Mm -hmm. So a government shutdown is when Congress does not what's called appropriate spending 
for the next fiscal year. The fiscal year of the federal government starts on October 1st. And if Congress has not appropriated spending for the annual accounts, those are the accounts we were talking about earlier, discretionary spending, so that's the Defense Department and all the domestic government agencies, then there's what's called a government shutdown, where basically all non-essential services stop and federal employees get sent home and certain government programs sort of grind to a halt and they can't start new infrastructure projects or other things like that until Congress gets its act together to pass appropriations for the next year and agree on what level those should be at. We've been there many times before in terms of government shutdowns. They're not healthy for the economy. They're certainly um, detrimental and, and cost American taxpayers. But the effects of that are relatively modest in that they're not catastrophic. They're not causing tremendous long-term harm to our domestic economy. And we know what that looks like. In contrast, the debt limit and defaulting on our obligations associated with the debt limit would be unprecedented, where we could see truly horrific economic consequences that are entirely unpredictable because there are so many different actors involved that are going to be responding to that kind of circumstance. And that is when Congress doesn't extend the debt limit specifically to allow for more borrowing by the federal government. I should note that the additional borrowing that's being allowed by extending the debt limit doesn't mean that Congress is authorizing new spending, because this is just to cover spending programs that Congress has already told the Treasury Department to spend money on. So that might be those annual annually appropriated programs, or it might be Medicare, or it might be Social Security, or it might be other programs. But all these things are already in law that Congress has said, you need to go spend money on this. But now the Treasury Department is coming back and saying, well, we can't spend money because we don't have money because you're not letting us issue new debt to borrow in order to raise cash to actually pay all of those bills. So there's sort of a difference here between the fact that Congress has already authorized all that spending, but has not authorized the borrowing that we need to do in order to pay for it. That's what the debt limit is. And that's why that's an order of magnitude more concerning and significant than a government shutdown. Mm, I'm so glad that you broke that down because that is a, a question that I get a lot and it's how, they, how those two relate. And it's important to know. So I guess that leads me to my last question. What is the biggest thing people should know about the debt ceiling? Why should taxpayers, why is it important, I guess I should say, for taxpayers to care? There's a number of reasons why it's really important for people across the country to be paying attention to this debate right now. The first is that if the Treasury Department is not able to meet all of its obligations. That means someone somewhere who is owed money from the federal government will not be getting that money on time. Probably many people in many places. And millions and millions of Americans rely on federal government programs, probably more than realize it, in their everyday lives. So people get tax refunds from the federal government. People get Social Security benefits. People get Medicare benefits through the, the um, payments that the federal government provides to doctors, people get food stamps, people get housing assistance. So th this is throughout our economy. And not only would this affect the people who are getting those payments directly, but it would affect people who rely on those payments for their livelihoods. So if somebody owns an apartment building and many people in that apartment building are getting rental assistance and that rental assistance doesn't come through, then the apartment building manager or the, the owner of the building doesn't get their payments on time. And this would likely trickle through the economy very quickly. So that's the direct effect of possibly not meeting all of our obligations. And then there's the second order effect of how all of the financial markets and global economic actors are responding. And that could come back to hurt Americans in a variety of ways. But first of all, markets might drop substantially. Interest rates could increase. Uh, unemployment could go up and people could lose their jobs. Could have an effect on inflation, which is, of course, already running high. 
So it's really impossible to predict exactly which of these are going to come to fruition. But it's likely that if we remain in this impasse without a resolution and cross that X state where we're not able to meet all of our obligations, that the effects are going to be are going to come fairly quickly and could be quite severe. We'll be right back after this. Shai, thank you so much. That was such an excellent explanation and breakdown of everything that's going on right now. We'll see how it plays out over the next couple of days, maybe you know, next couple of weeks. When when is the when is the deadline? I guess there's not really. It's just you got it. We got to figure it out asap. Yeah. So I didn't really answer your earlier question, Abby, and that's that's a really important one, which is there's so much unpredictability over when this quote unquote deadline is when it comes to the debt limit because it relies on us trying to project trillions of dollars of government payments that are going in and out each month. There are literally hundreds of millions of bills that go out the door from the Treasury Department. And what we at the Bipartisan Policy Center do is try to project roughly when that X date is going to arrive, but it's not an easy task. So right now we've said it's likely to be sometime this summer or early fall, but we'll have much more um, of a sense after the next week or two when we get all the data from tax season and we could put that into our model and figure out a more narrow window of when this is going to arrive. But I should just note that that adds an entire additional element of unpredictability and danger to the situation because usually when Congress is taking action, they have a very firm date that they need to act by and that's when they get it done at the 11th hour. Here, the 11th hour is sort of moving around as we try to figure out the payments that are going out and in from the federal government. And so we'll see how that shapes out over the next couple of weeks. But we don't have a whole lot of time left before that X date arrives. Mm, all right. So over the next few months, then we should say that we'll keep an eye on this, see how everything plays out. Right. That's right. All right. Sounds good. Shai, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And Thanks we'll talk me, to you maybe in a few months. Sounds good. Appreciate it. All right, if you miss anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about the debt limit. Number one, 1917 was the first time the debt limit was enacted in Congress. Congress has the power of the purse, so it gets to decide how the Treasury Department allocates its funds. Number two, Shai says the debt limit is a unique political instrument. It's not always economic, it often turns political. The politics come to play when there are provisions put in by either party that may further their own agenda. And number three, based off of the Bipartisan Institute projections, Shai says we should expect new information regarding the debt limit in summer or fall of this year. So we will keep an eye on that as things progress. For more podcasts, you can listen to foxnewspodcast.com and don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This is Beginning Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.